Might be because I turned it off. Okay. Well, it's good to be here today. I just wanted to take a look around, see who was here, see how much everyone's aged since I was up here last. <laughs> few new faces, so it's, I'm glad to be here. I think Bart was being nice to me when he was just introducing me because he doesn't want me to make fun of him. What do you think? <laughs> Falling while skiing. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's funny because he had, he had told me back in December that he was going to be gone. And he said, uh, he asked if I would be interested in speaking. And I said, I'll pray about it. And the Lord had kind of been stirring something in me and to, to share. And, and then I said, no, I don't think I'm going to do it. <laughs> and then I prayed some more. And then I said, oh, okay, I'll do it. And then I said, I'm not sure. And then I guess I'm sure, I guess we ended up at yes, right? <laughs> so that's where I am today. And Bart was telling me, I said, what are you going to be doing that weekend? And he said, I'm going to be skiing. And he's, this is what he said to me. I'd rather be skiing than almost anything else. And I thought, I'd rather be doing almost anything else than skiing. And now we know why. <laughs> So uh, it's just interesting how people are so different, right? People have different personalities, things they like, different just aspects of the world that they're interested in, and um, we all have different stories. And that's what we've been focused on over this past month is the different stories that people have. And so I want to continue that theme today of talking about the power of story. And so if you would, Matthew 10, or Matthew 9, 20 to 22 is where we're going to be. And um, so oftentimes when I'm going to speak, the Lord will give me a topic and then we have a little debate about it, <laughs> whether that's what I want to talk about. And so this was one of those times, the story that I'm going to share with you today is the woman with the issue of blood. And so I was, uh, I kind of had this thought like, Lord, really? Uh, that's kind of more my gynecologist husband's kind of talk, not mine. But uh, anyway, as God, God has his way, doesn't he? Yeah. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So my plan is I'm going to read this scripture to you. And then I'd like to just give a little bit of a context just to kind of help understand this passage a little bit more. And then I'm going to pull out a few truths um, from it. And hopefully it will impact you as much as it's impacted me. So Matthew 9. Larry's making a sign at me. Want me to try it? Okay. Hold on. Talk amongst yourselves. Is it working? Nope. Yes. Oh, yay. I was, I was wondering to myself how I was going to do all these things. <laughs> okay. All right. So here we go. Matthew 9, 20 to 22. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. And that's it. Three short verses. Now, this story is also found in Matthew 5 and in Luke 8. 
Um, so if you want to take a look at those, there's a little more detail in those. But here in, in uh, Matthew, it's three short verses. It's a, it's a pretty interesting story, right? I mean, a lot's packed into those three verses. But there's a lot more to it than meets the eye, as there often is. Uh, one of the things I've been doing in my job is we're planning this big, big conference in March, and we're collecting bios of all the speakers that we're having at our conference. And so we asked them to give us a bio that's about 200, 250 words. Well, of course, all the bios are the really great things that the people have accomplished, right? And I, as I read them, I think, oh, what's the rest of the story? What's, what's underneath that success or that title? What, what did it take for that person to get there? And so I think about that with this woman. What did it take for her to get to this place? So it's a really good reminder to me that you can't just look at someone and think that you know everything, right? We all have much more depth and texture and nuances to, to our lives and to our stories than what we appear just on the outside. So in this story, we see several characters. We see this woman, and we see Jesus. And then also here are all the disciples and crowds, big crowds. A lot of people had come to know about Jesus. And if you've been following along in the Bible readings, how many of you have? Okay, oh, good. Even today, did you read it today? They were t- it was talking about Jesus, the crowds pressing in, and Jesus went out in a boat to get, a- get away a little bit. So crowds pressing in. People were becoming aware of Jesus and his healing and the ministry and the teaching that he had. And so a few moments before this lady came up, someone else came up. And he was a leader from the synagogue. And we learn in the other uh, Gospels that this man was Jairus, and his daughter was on the brink of death. And Jairus came to Jesus and he said, If you will just come with me to my house and touch my daughter, that she'll live. Well, Jesus was really on his way to do that. He was walking along to go and heal this little girl. And it's interesting because that, the little girl was 12 years old that he was going to heal. And this lady with, with the issue of blood, she had been suffering for 12 years. It's just an interesting point to this story. So a minute, just as he's walking along, as Jesus is walking along to go to heal this little girl, a woman comes up, this woman, the woman with the issue of blood, and she goes to touch him. Now, we don't know her name, but I know she had one. I know that she, it may have been a really long time since anyone had even called her by her name. This woman had really suffered, and I want to just talk through a few of the things that she had dealt with in her story. She had been dealing with this problem for 12 years, and to put it mildly, it had ruined her life. And I don't know if you've had things in your life, I'm sure you have, that you felt like ruined your life, but this woman really had some stuff that happened that ruined her life. For one thing, financial devastation she had experienced. In, uh, the, in Mark, 
the Mark version of this, it says, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. I'm not going to make any comments about doctors here. (laughs) But that happens sometimes, right? Instead of getting better, she grew worse. She had spent everything. There was nothing, no resources left for this woman. Second thing, physical depletion. So physically, she'd been having this bleeding. bleeding. She would have been completely exhausted, probably anemic, breathless, just kind of a shell of a woman is what she would have been like. And probably because of, number one, financial problems, she couldn't afford food that would have nourished her body. So even more, she would have been weak. And yet, she moved toward Jesus with determination. She also had suffered from some pretty horrific treatments. Some of the cures that she had gone through may have been just about as bad as what she was experiencing in her body. I was reading um, some of the, the treatments at that time. So... Mainly it was tonics, and the tonics included things like crocus hortensis, alum, gum alexandria, Persian onions, cumin, and cuttings from vines. Now think about that. Grind that all together and drink it? That's like the worst smoothie ever, right? (laughs) So this lady, she had been in much other, other things that she had done, but she had just taken these potions and had gone through all these treatments, and none of them were working. And oh, probably the only thing that would have worked would, would have been a hysterectomy, which wouldn't have happened at that time. So hor- horrible treatments. And then probably worst of all, utter humiliation. She was an outcast. It's really hard for us to even understand the level that this woman would have felt like an outcast. I'm sure all of us have felt like we were on the outside looking in at some point, right? Multiply that by hundreds to know what this woman had to have felt like. In part because of Levitical law, if you want to, you'll come to this in a couple of weeks, right? And uh, to learn, and and Matt Gore is teaching a good class where he's going to look at that. But everything that she touched and everyone that she touched would have been considered unclean based on Levitical law. That means she wouldn't have been married. She couldn't have been married. She probably didn't have any friends. She didn't have a girlfriend to make a crochet scarf with, (laughs) like some of y'all did Friday night. It was just a lonely existence. And um, I was trying to think of what a modern-day equivalent of this would be, because I don't think anything that we really have in America would compare. But there is a thing in a lot of um, African countries called uh, fistula. And I'm not going to go into the details of this, but this is a condition that women have after childbirth. And th- the way Nate explains it is parts of the body communicate that are not supposed to, okay? <laughs> and so women leak fluids, and basically they're out- made outcasts, and they have to stay in huts away from everyone else because of the smell and it's a, it's a horrible way to live. And if they're um, 
if they're blessed, they get to have a surgery. But it's very rare for, the, for women who face this problem to, ha- to even have the surgery. And so that's the only thing I could really even think of today that would um, help us understand what it was like to be in the, her position. So, you know, you can kind of imagine what she must have looked like, right? This picture kind of makes me think of what she had to look like. Just washed out, nothing, nothing, no color, sad, um, desperate. A story like that, if that was your story, do you think you would lose heart? Do you think you would give up? And yet, she stepped out. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. She moved toward Jesus. Think about how she must have moved toward Jesus in weakness. And yet she did. She took those steps of faith. And he said to her, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And I think there's a reason why this story is in three of the four Gospels. I think it's impo- this is an important story for us. And there's many truths that we can take away from this story. And I want to share just a few of those with you. The first is this. Taking a step of faith necessitates taking a step. Have you ever heard this um, quotation, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step? You know what? It's true. It's, it's so true. Uh, a few years ago, Bart mentioned that I went back to school, and what, kind of what happened is I had always had a dream of getting a doctorate and just didn't seem the right time or nothing really fit, or mainly it was just kind of fear. It was just fear on my part to step out in that direction. And so I, I finally got the courage to start looking and researching, and then the next thing I know, I'm having to find these papers I wrote 20 years ago when I was in my master's program, and then all of a sudden I'm writing an essay, and then the next thing I know, um, I'm applying. I'm taking that step. The next thing I know, I started, and I was writing papers again, and I was taking a, another step, and then I was in a financial management class that was not my thing and my sweet friend Carrie Ann Stinson tutored me (laughs) and her daughter said mommy why are you tutoring Miss Cheryl (laughs) but the body of Christ right we help each other (laughs) but what I learned from that was that I had to take that step and you know what I'm done I did it (laughs) I mean I I stepped forward and now it's it's finished but it takes the first step. And some of you have things in your heart that you know you're supposed to do, but it takes that first step. Now, I I do want to say this. This lady, she was desperate for all those reasons I just mentioned to you. And and I'm sure all of us have been desperate, and you you might know that feeling where you flung yourself on the floor and you're saying, God, how is this my life? Anybody know that feeling? You might not want to say it, but yeah, I think most of us do. Please help me. You're my only hope. And, and that's where she was. Um, and we need faith. And sometimes, don't you think it's easier to have faith in those situations 
when it's just such a big mess that it's sometimes easier to have faith than in the small little take one step, take another step, take another step. But we need it in all all those situations. And the reality is that any of those, whether huge or small, it, it takes us moving out of our comfort zone. And it's so easy to stay in our comfort zone, isn't it? It's just, hopefully, if anything, this, the past few weeks where we've had this fast, it's been stirring things in us of ways to move out of our comfort zone. There's a book that I read a few years ago um, by an author named Gail Godwin, and I'm not recommending this book. But I do want to read you a quote out of it because this, when I read this, it just really um, spoke to me. And she, it was a teacher teaching her protege, and this is what she says. Death is not the enemy. Age is not the enemy. These things are inevitable. They happen to everybody. But what we ought to fear is the kind of death that happens in life. It can happen at any time. You're going along, and then at some point, you congeal. You know, like jelly. You're not fluid anymore. You solidify at a certain point, and then from then on, your life is doomed to be a repetition of what you have done before. That's the enemy. There are two kinds of people walking around on this earth. One kind, you can tell just by looking at them, at what point they congealed into their final selves. It might be a very nice self, but you know you can expect no more surprises from it. Whereas the other kind keep moving, changing, With these people, you can never say, X stops here, or now I know all there is to know about Y. I don't want to congeal. Do you? Congealing is a sign that we're not taking steps of faith. Being the same person next year that I am today is one of my worst thoughts. I want to move forward in faith grow in faith, grow in character, grow to be more like Christ. I don't want to congeal. The thing is, as we take a step of faith, we begin to see everything differently. And and I'm going to have us do a little activity, and this is going to be a little weird because I'm about to ask you to stand up during the sermon, okay? (laughs) It's okay. Is it okay if they do? Okay. Pastor Bart said it's okay. All right, so before we do that, I want you all to look at me. What do you see? other than a lovely lady. <laughs> Just, you see, you see the stage, you see, you see what you see every week, except for maybe a different person that's up here, right? Kind of the same, same view. All right, everyone stand up. Give yourself a little room. All right. Want you, everybody, turn to your right and take a step. And I want you to just kind of look around there and see, what do you see? Do you see anybody different? Really, look. Don't just stare ahead. Look. Like, do you see anything different than what you see every week when you come in here? Do you see a different person? Do you have a different view? You see somebody you want to, oh, thank you, Wendy. (laughs) I'm going to keep going until someone says something. (laughs) Okay. All right. You can sit down. You can sit down. No one get up to go to the bathroom, okay? <laughs> here's, here's my point. 
when we move in faith, we begin to see things we didn't see before. And that's just a little example, but I bet you saw someone you hadn't seen and you didn't know was here. I bet you maybe saw something, oh, wow, we need to fix that paint spot over there or something like that, right? But we, as we move in one step, it empowers us because we see more of the picture of what God is doing. When we see it's, it's broadened, and then it gives us courage to take another step and another step and another step. My prayer throughout this month, the month of prayer and fasting, has been this. What would taking a step toward Jesus look like in this situation? So as I've wrestled through some challenging things and in my workplace and um, dealt with some control and anxiety issues, I've tried to keep asking myself, what does stepping toward Christ look like? I think it's a good question to ask ourselves on a regular basis in when, we, when we sense things are n- not right. What does it look like? What would it look like for me right now to take a step toward Jesus? So does anyone here need to take a step toward Jesus in something? I don't know what it is. I know that you, things are stirring in you. You've been praying. You've been fasting. God's been speaking to many of you for years, and there's some things in you that he wants you to take a step toward and ask him, what does it look like? What would it look like to take that very first step? step toward him. The second thing I see in this passage is a truth that um, is a little bit different, but it is how we talk to ourselves is a reflection of our faith. Now, this is one of my favorite topics, uh, self-talk, and I did a lot of work on this um, when I was working on my dissertation, and if you've ever taken a class that I've taught here, usually we talk about this in class, and because I think it's so important. Um, and honestly, I think it's, I, I probably am interested in it because I really struggle with it myself. Uh, even, to, even today, or last week when Bart said I was going to be speaking this week, I thought, well, no one's, what if no one comes? <laughs> he told them, why do you have to tell them I was speaking? Maybe no one will come. You know, do you all do those things? Or am I the only... <laughs> No, we all do. We all have those things that we say to ourselves that reflect where our faith level is, right? And so this lady, we see it here. We see what her faith level was. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. That's what she said to herself. If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. What we don't hear her saying is, this is horrible. God hates me. This is never going to change. My life is awful. Now, I cannot guarantee that she didn't say those things at some other point in time. Um, She might have. But what I really believe is, if after 12 years of suffering from this, this woman can muster this level of faith, it's in her. She's been saying something like this to herself for a long time, hasn't she? If only I can touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Have you ever stopped to pay attention to the things that you say to yourself and what they reflect about your faith? It's a really helpful thing to do. 
here's a thought. What if everything you've said to yourself about faith was written down and someone read it about 2,000 years later? Like this lady's thought to herself. <laughs> Paying attention to our self-talk about fa- our faith is not just a bunch of psychobabble, gobbledygook. It really is a reflection of what we believe. It's where we can really see what's going on inside of us. Uh, In a book that I am going to (laughs) recommend called Crash the Chatterbox, Hearing God's Voice Above All Others, the author Stephen Furtick, he's reflecting on his own self-talk, and he says this, So much doubt, panic, raw impulse, and bogus conjecture stream through my mind. My soul sometimes feels like a Twitter feed where I'm following a million of the most annoying people ever and I can't find the unfollow button. <laughs> Anybody ever experienced that in your own self? You want, you wish you could push the unfollow button on your running uh, discussion in your head? I wanted to um, give us a good example. I mean, this woman that we're studying today, she's a great example. But um, I wanted to share a little video clip here of another individual and who's using some really um, powerful faith-based talk to himself. And this is uh, a guy. His name is Jordan Smith. And he, anybody know where he, what he did? He won The Voice. <laughs> okay. Anybody watch The Voice? I never watched it till what? Come on, somebody better admit you watched it. Oh, thank you. This side over here. Woo! All right, Jordan Smith won the Voice. I I never watched like a whole season of anything, but I started watching this, and it's a really fascinating show because the coaches on the show are so positive and uplifting, and I just really love the atmosphere that they create. And so this boy, this twenty. One-year-old guy, he uh, he won. He was the winner, and it turns out he's a believer. And Rick Warren at, out at Saddleback Church interviewed him, and I want to show a little clip from you this. You made no qualms about being a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, I, I noticed on your Twitter. I want to put this on the screen. It says Jordan Smith. This is his Twitter account. Winner of The Voice, season nine, Kentuckian musician, traveler, follower of Christ. All right, great. God bless you, man. Great. Great. So, tell me about your relationship to Jesus. Well, um, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents are both Christians, and they took me to church every time the doors were open, and they really instilled in me from a very young age, just growing up, how important it was not only to be a good person, but to be a person that's full of the love of God and to mm-hmm. pour that onto other people. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, I've done everything I can, you know, just growing up to to live in that. I, I thank my family for that. I have them to thank for that. And I have such a good support system behind me. And I've just honestly, I've grown so close to the Lord and I, I try to walk with him every day and I try to direct my thoughts towards him because he's been so good to me. He's given me so many great things. And so, yeah, I've just known, I've known him my whole life, I feel. And, you know, We've been friends for so long. And, yeah, that's right. And that's, I think exactly. that's the most important thing. Yeah. People who don't know God don't understand this talk about friendship with God. But we're not talking about a religion. We're talking about a relationship. Now, uh, one of the songs that you did uh, on The Voice was a very famous hymn called Greatest Thy Faithfulness. It immediately shot to number one on Billboard. I don't know the last time we had a hymn at number one. Uh, but I want to I play a clip from that on the screen. Watch this. Great. 
<laughs> so, so tell me, how has God been faithful to you? Well, how has he not been faithful to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's done so much for me. He's healed members of my family. He's healed me. He's, he's given me so much. But the greatest thing I think I've ever received from God, I know, is my salvation. Mm. You know, and if he never did another single thing for that's me exactly in my entire right. life, then that, that's absolutely yeah. enough. Yeah. Everything else is just an added bonus. Amen? Amen. And Amen. so he's been faithful in that, and he's, he's you know, been faithful to forgive me and to love me and, and to always allow me to feel his presence in my life. And, and two, I, I told the Lord a long time ago, which I say a long time ago, but I'm only 22 years old, so <laughs> for some of you, that's not a very long time ago. <laughs> for you, maybe. Um, hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm just kidding. Wait a minute. Um, but I told the Lord a long time ago to me that um, I never wanted to use his name to promote my position, but mm. I always wanted to use my position to promote his name good, and do whatever I word. could to make his name good famous. Word. And he's been so faithful to give me those positions and yeah. give me those platforms to promote him. And, and that's, that's just one way that he's been faithful to me. Fantastic. Now, being on The Voice, that's a lot of competition. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of incredible talent. You've got incredible talent in the judges. You've got the whole nation watching online. And I'm sure during the season, uh, you probably had to deal with some of the fears we've just been talking about, like inadequacy yeah. and fear of disappointment and, and things like that. Um, so you probably had even naysayers who said, you shouldn't even try out. You know, and so why, why, you know, why even try? But, but you did. And uh, so tell me about that. Talk to me about how you dealt with the fears throughout the season. Um, actually, honestly, I'll tell you, I auditioned for The Voice in February of 2014, so almost two years ago, and when I auditioned the first time, I didn't make it, which was a very difficult thing for me because this has been a dream of mine for a very long time. I've been a fan of the show ever since it started, and I always felt just an attachment to it in my heart, and that was one of my desires was to be a part of the show that I, I felt was so wonderful, and so for me, that was a huge disappointment in my life, and... Um, the opportunity came around. I, I waited out that year and I accepted, you know, I accepted that well, that wasn't God's timing. That's not his plan. That's okay. And then a year went around and the next February, in February of this year, I got a call and a talent scout had seen a video of me and asked me to come back and audition for the show. But this is like going to moving against fear of disappointment. Like we right, about. right. Yeah. This is, and so in that moment, I was faced with a choice. I mm. could either allow the fear of being disappointed again because this was something huge, you yeah. know, that I'd wanted for so long and I'd already been disappointed once. So I could have allowed that fear of disappointment to take control and I could have said no or I could have stepped out on faith and, and really believed that this is what God had placed in me as a desire and a dream, not only that I had for myself, but the dream that God had for me. And I stepped into that and, and it just started a chain reaction of so many wonderful experiences over the past year with this show that I've been so blessed by. So I've, I've had to overcome that just initially to even be a part of the show. And then, of course, you know, each week getting up on live television and singing high notes and standing on high things all the, every week. <laughs> There's always a little bit of fear that wants to creep in, the fear of inadequacy and knowing, you know, thinking that you're not good enough or that you can't do it. But I had to accept that I am not good enough in my own strength and in my flesh. I'm mm. not. I'm not enough. None of us are. Mm. But where I end is where God begins. 
and he will take everything that's out of our control and he will do his part as long as we do what we can do with what's in our control. So I just had to do that every week. I had to do what I could and do what was in my control and leave the rest to him and prepare myself and then allow him to just move and work in whatever way he saw fit and open myself, like you said, to that and say, yeah. whatever it is that God has for my life, that's what I want to do. And so that's just one, one example of, of how I've had to overcome my, my fears through this whole process. Wow. Um, okay, how many... All right. Isn't that good? I mean, that, he, it was just such a great example to me of how he, he, every week did, he took that step each week, week after week, he took a step of faith and he got, got how he was talking to himself in a faith perspective. Um, I want to just, a couple of verses that I want to share with you that show to me how important this subject is. Um, Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. In Psalm 10.11, the wicked man says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face and never sees. So we don't want to be foolishness, foolish. We don't want to be wicked. We want to be people of faith who speak in our hearts. It says Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. And we want to be people with that kind of faith. And I want to show you a passage here that I never noticed before, but that God talks to himself. It, it says, it was when um, Noah and his family came out from the ark and made fun, um, had made a burnt offering. And the, it says, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. So the Lord is speaking to himself about his plans and about what his purposes are, just like we do. And we want to do that with, with faith. And if that's a struggle of yours, I just encourage you to begin to take those thoughts cap- captive and begin to use words of faith to talk to yourself and to those around you. All right, my next point is this. Jesus responds with compassion. Jesus was not getting much alone time, as we've seen in our Bible readings, and he wasn't, he was surrounded by a lot of people who had a lot of needs, and he was, um, and they were just pressing in, pressing in, pressing in. And you think you would get tired of that, wouldn't you? Get, get tired of people and their needs all the time. But Jesus, he didn't. He didn't. He kept ministering And it says that she, this woman, she reached out to touch the hem of his garment. And it's interesting because the word is uh, haptomai. So in my mind, when I read this, I think that maybe she just kind of went up and like just kind of brushed him or just kind of maybe poked him or something. (laughs) Maybe wouldn't notice. But that's not what it is. That word is means to fasten oneself to, to cling to. So this woman, weak as she was, she stepped out and she grabbed on to Jesus. She held on to him with with everything that she had, really, everything that she had within her. And what was Jesus' response? Not anger. He was not afraid that she was about to make him unclean. He was not indifferent. He responded with compassion. And he will do that for us when we take that step toward him in whatever we need or whatever faith we're going toward. 
he will respond to us with compassion. And he saw her, her plight, and he didn't just, you know, respond with a little compassion. He said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. He was encouraging her. He was giving her a pep talk. And the fact that Jesus called her daughter is so significant. No one wanted anything to do with this woman. And Jesus is saying, take heart, daughter. He was validating her as a person. And he does that for us. When we move toward him, he says, take heart. Take heart, Nancy. Take heart, Chris. You're my daughter. You're my son. I had a, um, a very interesting experience a few weeks ago. Nate and I were on a, a vacation over Christmas um, to Mexico. And uh, we were at a dinner on New Year's Eve. And it was kind of a fancy thing at the place we were staying. They had this big fancy buffet, and everybody's dressed up. And there was any kind of food you could think of, and all the ice sculptures and all those kind of things. And... Um, we were seated at our table, and we decided that we were going to go ahead and get our food. And so we walked into the uh, big banquet room to get the food. And I just kind of looked around, and I saw this. I don't, can you see this? It's a, there's some chicken on there. <laughs> but the main thing is it was a, a carving out of fruit and kind of just really festive and beautiful. And I stood there, and I looked at that, and I started to become overwhelmed with the fact that a person made that. A person very gifted and very talented spent hours probably making that. And no one was even looking at it. No one. I mean, except me. And I, I started to think of all the people who were working there that night, who had done all this work. And I became overwhelmed with the, all, the only thing I can explain it is compassion, with the love of Christ. And it was, a, it was a supernatural thing. And I walked back to where we were sitting, and I sat down, and I told Nate, I just had the weirdest experience. I feel very overwhelmed. And he said, me too. And then I started crying, like I'm about to now. Which, you know, is not really what you want to do on New Year's Eve. <laughs> but I, I felt this love of Christ come upon me for the people who were there that night that were unseen, that had worked so hard to make such a beautiful night, and who had been gifted by God. And that compassion that I felt is just, I'm sure, just a fraction of the way that Jesus responds. I mean, he's got it all. He's got the full load of the compassion. He's not filtering it through this human vessel like me. But that's, he sees, he sees the, the, the gifts. He sees the efforts. He sees the heart of the person, and his response is compassion. I do know if you move toward him, that's what his response to you is going to be. 
finally, my point is that faith begets faith. This is a really short point. I mostly wanted to say the word beget because <laughs> we've been reading that so much. <laughs> but the amazing thing about stepping out in faith is that it creates more faith. It creates more faith in me as I step out than I see and then I move and then I can move some more. And I like what we saw, we can see something different, right? But also, interestingly, it creates faith in others when we step out. And we never really know who we're influencing. But if I, a few weeks ago, Amy Jacks was here. And if you heard her, did she, was she so inspiring? Did she, she's a missionary in Jordan. She, her faith made me want to have faith. And it inspired me. And so her faith beget faith in me. And when, as Amy steps out and she sees God move, it inspires more faith in her as well. I, um, this week, I emailed Tom Odapon, and Tom is, our, is a missionary in India that we've worked with for a really long time, and I thought, I know, I know Tom's going to have a good story. So I said, hey, I'm speaking on Steps of Faith this week, and anything happened recently? And I, I mean, probably like within 15 minutes, I got an email back from him. <laughs> and he said, this is what he said, I'll read it to you. We were having a Sunday class just one mile from our church. And this is Tom's family, and then that's one of their churches. That's his church. So we were having a Sunday class just one mile from our church. Some of the parents got saved. When they were coming to church, some other people threatened us not to go there anymore. It's very dangerous to preach the gospel there. So we weren't able to visit that village. Last Wednesday, we had a special meeting. A few people from that village came also. One of the ladies who we had visited many times came for the first time to this meeting. That night, she got saved. After the meeting, she came to me and she told me about her brother, an alcoholic. She was crying, and I knew him. Next two days, I was thinking about him, and I was praying for him and his salvation. Last Sunday, when I came to church, to my surprise, this man was sitting in the church. God brought him there. God does wonders all the time. I have lots of stories. When we put a step of faith, he will honor it. It is not easy, but we will see the fruit. So Tom and his team stepped out in faith. And this beautiful story, we don't, I'm sure more faith will come from this. This, Tom's team, faith in this woman, the woman passed on to her brother. Who knows what the rest of that story is going to be. We can ask Tom when he comes to visit us next time. It's a beautiful story. Just like the story of this woman is a beautiful story and a powerful story. And what I want us to do is to reflect on this. Um, kind of hold a mirror up to our own stories and see where are we with our faith? Am I taking steps? How am I talking to myself about my faith? Am I um, willing to let Jesus touch me with compassion? And am, am I stepping in faith in a way that will inspire other people to have faith?
if the um, worship team would come up, and then I'd like to have a few ministry teams too. What I'd like to do is really for you to reflect on some of the things I've been saying today and to have an opportunity to respond if you would like. Perhaps for someone, a step of faith would look like just walking down front (laughs) to get prayer. I don't know. It may just look like you sitting in your seat. It doesn't, any, whatever, however you're led or however the Lord leads. But let's just take a few minutes. I'm going to pray, and um, if while I'm praying, if a few ministry teams want to move up to the front, that would be great. And then you can move as you're led. So, Lord, we thank you for this this woman uh, that we see in this story and the beautiful example of faith and taking a step toward Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would show each of us what that looks like in our own lives. Lord, I know there's everyone sitting in here has something that they know you're calling them to. And whether it's fear or apathy, I don't know what's keeping us from moving, but I do pray right now, Lord, that you would reveal that and you'd empower us to move forward. Move forward as individuals, move forward as a church. Reveal to us, Lord, anything you want us to see about how we talk to ourselves about our faith. Lord, we just, we trust you. We trust you, God, because we know you are full of compassion. You will reach out your arms of love and say, take heart. Thank you, Jesus. If you feel that, come and receive prayer.
stand up with me if you would. And let's just worship him. I do feel like there's some others here who need to take a step of faith. A step of faith for healing. A step of faith for freedom. A step of faith in hearing from God and for direction. If that's you and you want somebody to...